Let me tell you something while Logan is uh, getting the cameras rolling because we never know if he's uh, actually wrong. if we're actually live or not. He's gonna hit the button. He's gonna hit the button, but hit the button. he hit the button. My therapist. We may be live. My therapist thinks that my search for objective truth is destructive to my healing, but my therapist also believes that a lot of things that are not objectively true. <laughs> I love how you twisted it. Well, you know, but she's also wrong about everything. You know, I, I search for truth because that's part of my spark type, apparently, according to you. Uh, anyways, here we go. I guess we're live. Let's uh, pull up everybody's comments. Today, guys, this mm-hmm. we're actually going to the whole show. That's right. Because I was like, we normally just do this show for supporters, but I want non-supporters to see what supporters get because they need to know. They need to know the truth, Tom Heinemann. Also, there will be Game of Thrones spoilers. Okay. okay? Everybody the night is dark and full of spoilers, people. We're going to talk about the new Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of those people who's like... You know what? I've never watched Game of Thrones because I'm not like the rest of you. I'm a contrarian. You can fuck yourself. Game of Thrones is awesome. Several issues. We're going to have cursey words. Number next. There's going to be spoilers because what do you tell the god of death? Spoilers are coming. Not today. Not today. Spoilers today. Also, you've all been warned about spoilers. So Arya Stark kills the Night King and it is dope. Although I'm also not sure how I feel about it because now I'm like, where are we heading, bro? Mm Mm-hmm. What's next? Because it's so anticlimactic. Yeah. This is like post-coital Game of Thrones. I kind of wanted the Night King to sit on the Iron Throne. Just kill everybody. And sit there. And the Night King just, like, yeah. But what does the Night King need with an Iron Throne? Who's he going to rule? Have you realized, are you woke enough yet to realize that Game of Thrones is a big climate change metaphor? Like, I'm not that woke. You get that, Explain this to me now. The zombies are, that's climate change. Oh, give me a break. And the humans are cold? Yeah. And the humans have to get together to fight climate change. Oh, and Cersei's like Trump? Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm going to help you guys. And then she just sits at home? Kind (laughs) of. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I never made that connection. I think George R.R. Martin has said that it is a metaphor for climate change. I did not know that. I am pretty sure. So the wall is what? The ozone layer? Okay, so here's where we're heading in Game of Thrones for people who who don't know what's up, who don't follow the blogs like I do. So... George R. R. Martin has said that his problem with Lord of the Rings is that Lord of the Rings just ends, and it's like, and then Aragorn was a good king, and right. he ruled for hundreds of years. But George R. R. Martin's like, what was his what was his tax structure like? Did he go and kill all those baby orcs and their baby orc cribs that were left over from the big orc war? You know what happened? There are some burning questions. So basically, now that the Night King is dead, and we still have three episodes left to go. Okay, which you can already plan this out because episode five is Miguel Sopcek is back as director. Mm. So the next episode is going to be set up for a big battle. Episode five will be another big battle. Then episode six is going to be all about the politics of how do we rule, who's in control, who's got the power. And so that's where we're that, heading. That's I, where I, we're heading with Thrones. I think you're right. Now, here's the thing, because we're going to bring Avengers Endgame into this. We're not going to have spoilers on Endgame. We're not going to say who died and who lived. We're going to say this. The beginning part of Endgame is all... What happens to these characters after half the population of the universe has been extincted? That's right. And I thought it was fascinating because uh, actually, should we use some spoilers here? Because you kind—I need the spoilers to to be able to describe what I'm talking about. Spoiler alert! Spoiler you all alert. have ten seconds. Ten before seconds this before I ruin Avengers Endgame. Self destructs. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Endgame, you'll want to not listen to this, or just listen to it and don't give a fuck. That's right. So because Iron Man dies. So here's uh, here's what happens. Half the universe is poofed out of existence, and then the whole video, the beginning of the video, is everybody's grief 
about how half the universe is gone. Yes. And it's this very depressing. They have support groups with mm -hmm. Captain America. He's like, look, man, I cry every night. I went on a date with a guy. This happened. And first of all, I'm glad they made that date with a guy because it made it very inclusive. To That's the director, uh, Joe Russo, who's, ah. who's playing the, you know. Very nice. Uh -huh. Oh, that was the director. He mm -hmm. did his cameo. So they did all that. Well, I think he's gay in real life. Makes sense. I'm assuming. Remember that? Uh, remember that Lonely Island? Uh, no, pop star thing. Where yeah. He's like, I'm not gay, <laughs> but if I was, I would want equal rights. I'm not gay, right. but if I had, <laughs> I would Which is making, date who I like. Making fun of Macklemore's uh, love song. Hey, I'm not gay, but I like gay people. Because the joke is Macklemore's making a song about how he's fully in support of gay people. He's like, I'm not gay, bro. Just to let you know. Like, Just FYI. I'm, I'm not gay, but I support the gays. That's right. <laughs> I'm homophobic enough to make sure that you need to know that I'm not gay. Uh, so this whole thing about the sadness, everybody's gone. Now, later in the video, in the movie, they Iron Man insists that they, they undo the deaths of half the universe, but continue to allow the five years that, is that have elapsed since that death to uh, exist. So in the five years, everyone's gone through all the stages of grief. People have probably killed themselves. People have lost their jobs. Half the economy is devastated. World uh, political structures have crumbled. Bitcoin is now worth $30 million a coin. Fuck yeah. Uh, all this stuff happens. And then Iron Man goes, I'm Iron Man, bitch. Snap. Brings everybody back five years later. How fucked up is that? Not only have you tortured the population, 50% of the population that survived, you now bring back all these people they thought were gone. Some of those people are gonna come home to dead bodies because people have killed themselves over the loss and the grief. Uh, nobody has jobs anymore. Um, these people have aged five years and now they're coming back with families that haven't, that haven't changed a second since they were snapped out of existence. This is the most dystopian kind of solution to a problem I've ever experienced. I mean, do you disagree? I see. I There's just, it's so unrealistic. <laughs> I guess it's a movie. <laughs> I guess you can't really have these things happen. The part where they all come back, I'm like, I don't know, I guess. I mean, they're all hugging each other and crying and all their cell phones are blowing up. Yeah. It's like you still your cell phone plan still works from 5 years ago. <laughs> what the hell, man? I mean, who's manning the towers if half the uh, workers are gone? It's magic, see. It's just it is magic. you know, you know what you need to watch is The Leftovers, which was oh, HBO right. show where 2% of the world's population just disappears, but then they never come back. And right. then you just watch people deal with grief for three seasons right and people go insane it's more like how it would be in the real world people start cults things get real weird you know because See, that, all of a sudden everybody so you're you're now in the leftovers you're now living with the ever-present knowledge that you're going to die because it's like oh oh my oh, god two percent of all the people just went away mm. and I'm going to die one day. And then huma how humanity responds to that. See, those are fascinating yeah. what-ifs to me. By the way, Nicole Hickson, uh, who's a supporter plus two, says, Tom is basically a 10-year-old boy blurting out his spoilers. <laughs> 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 you pretty much nailed it, Nicole. That's that's pretty much... We said spoilers. <laughs> Anything that comes after spoilers, you get to say whatever you want. M Misty Holly says, Stan Lee signed off on it. So there. And now he's dead, mm -hmm. not signing off on anything else. So, so, yeah. we, so Game of Thrones, we kind of talk. No, so here's here's my problem with that Game of Thrones uh, episode, the the you know the long night. It was too fucking dark, which everybody complains of. But yeah. I got used to that. I have a pioneer elite from ten years ago that mm -hmm. has really good black levels, so I could see it. But me and my wife were squinting at the thing. The second thing is, um, they didn't kill enough people. 
That's that's what everybody was saying. Right. Yeah. I thought, you know, after you see uh, poor Dollar Ed take it in the back of the neck, you're thinking, oh, everybody's going to die. It was pretty dope, though, that Arya kills the Night King because at least there's a payoff for all, all the years work. we watched her in that shitty storyline. Yeah, yeah. Because that storyline of her, was her, her and Bran, uh, oh, it was like so painful oh. to watch. Well, let, me, let me ask you then. When does Bran's fucking storyline pay off? Because he hasn't done shit. Yeah, I thought Bran's storyline was going to pay off in that moment. I thought he was going to do some magical shit, but no, he has, nope. he's just sat there. Gary is going to have a mental duel with the Night King in slow-mo. They violate all the Game of Thrones tropes. They put it in 96 frames. He's going real slow. By the way, I'm gonna, this is this is great for anybody who watches Thrones. Is uh, T-Pain likes to live tweet Thrones, and he always calls Bran Wheelie Boy. And he's like, oh shit, Wheelie Boy just going to stand there and let the world end? It's fucking amazing. Dude, we should do a parody. I'm on the wall. I took the black. He's like, yo, check it out, bitches. I'm a motherfucking black. That'd be so good. Be, uh, Speaking of black people. Uh-huh. Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Nice. Who's not guy. black, but she might, might claim I'm she's not black. I'm not black, but if I was, I would want equal rights. Uh, I can see Elizabeth Warren claiming she's black. Yep. Well, she's claimed she's Native American. Yeah, which she's not. She's white as fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so here's my thing. She's like, like I, look, I took a 23 and me. I am a little bit Native American. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're uh, less than the statistical average. <laughs> So fuck off. Yeah, I think Tom's more Native American than she you. She was in a Cherokee cookbook. It was like, yeah, for real. And it said like Liz Warren, sweet tuna casserole, Cherokee. It's like, no, bitch, you're nothing. Dude, Liz, <laughs> you're fucking nothing. Liz Warren's sweet tuna casserole sounds like a Aerosmith song, doesn't it? Uh, here's the thing about Liz Warren. All right, so this is what she did. She's she's campaigning now. I guess she's declared for president. Um, and she said, here's the reason that black women. I think it was, she was specifically talking about black women who have a higher maternal mortality and those sort of things. Right. They're dying because physicians and nurses are prejudiced. And I got a ton of messages from people who are like, can you set this bitch straight? It's like when you hear that, it's like, yeah, a bunch of nurses are just choosing to let black women die. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Now, now, That's now, not how the system works. Now, I, now, of course, as you know, now I, I know you have a stance on this. My stance is fairly nuanced in that I have talked to many uh, African-American physicians who see unconscious bias play out all the time in healthcare. So it's a real thing, unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. What Liz Warren is accusing us of is conscious prejudice. So in other words, we are we are treating and listening to the complaints of black women differently, intentionally. Now, I don't think that's the case. I think it's that's a microscopic minority of super racist assholes yeah. that exist anywhere in any yeah, field. Of course. So I don't think that's the case. What I think is happening is the re the main reason you're seeing these discrepancies is the general social determinants of health. So systemic racism elsewhere, or the history of it, or poverty, or a poor access to food, no prenatal care, unintended pregnancies, all make things higher risk. Now, yeah. if you adjust for all those things, then you can look at and go, well, okay, now are there still uh, uh, differentials? And if there are, then you have to go, okay, is there unconscious bias that plays out? Now, we know unconscious bias exists in healthcare because they've studied it in medical students. And what they found, they asked questions like, uh, black people have an extra muscle in their leg, true or false? And medical students were like, yeah, true. More often than not, it's completely bullshit. They don't have an extra muscle. Black people have a higher tolerance for pain, true or false? True. No, it's not. <laughs> so these kind of biases, however they arise, 
are unconscious elephant biases. Now, do they play out in the in the hospital? We like to think they don't. Mm -hmm. They probably do to some extent. And I think if you talk to African Americans who've suffered through being stopped at stop signs, you know, stopped by police and all the other stuff, indignity they've suffered over the years, they will say they go into the hospital anticipating bias. And so actually, even the way they behave is gonna be different in the hospital, which means the way we react is gonna be different. So there's probably something to that. However, Liz Warren can shut the fuck up if she thinks that we're intentionally being racist, because that's not what the fuck we do. Liz Warren's terrible. Like, <laughs> she's just a terrible person. And she's one of these politicians who's intent on uh, dividing America. So fuck her. You know, like just fuck her. I, I'm actually, I'm actually with you on this, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm a fairly. You know, I heard her one time say this quote. She was like, "I'd love to tell you that there was room at the top, but there's not. I would love to tell you that America's land of opportunity, but it's not. Like, it's like, yeah, it is, bitch. Shut the fuck up. Well, shut look, the fuck up. You half look, look, Cherokee, nothing. <laughs> look, her. Somebody got mad at me for making fun of her fake Indian heritage, and I was like, uh, according to the rules of the intersectional left, you can't be racist against white people, and she's fucking white. So how am I supposed to be racist against her? Okay. <laughs> Fuck her. Look, as the representative of the uh, center left, I'll say that what she does is she politicizes something that we all know is already true to some degree. There is, uh, there are uh, still barriers to equality of opportunity in the United States f on several levels. However, what she is doing is playing to her base and saying, okay, so I'm gonna inflame this base that's already you know, driving outrage culture, already a pain in the ass, already making political correctness a... Uh, uh, a law and a virtue, right? Yeah. And destroying the ability to have a rational discourse, which of course we can kind of glean is gonna drift us somewhere to the center on this. Now, I've talked, when I went to back to UCSF for my 20th reunion, I talked to a uh, African-American physician who's getting an award there for the work that she's done, who led the student protests uh, for uh, African-American rights at San Francisco State College as a student in the 60s, and um, is still an activist mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, against um, uh, the sort of institutional bias that we can see. And she, talking to her afterwards, she, hearing her personal story as a professional, as someone who's hyper-educated, kind of analyzing this, it's really hard to argue that there aren't um, still barriers to uh, equal opportunity. I'm not saying outcome, I'm saying opportunity uh, for many people. Now, has it gotten better? I think it has. It depends on, if you're talking to somebody who's a victim of this, they're gonna feel differently. So I, you know. It's very tricky. Yeah. Because how do you get to, um, how do you get to equal opportunity? Mm. Uh, I agree that that's the goal. Mm -hmm. That meritocracy is the goal. How do you get there? That's the that's because there's there's so many. Um, I'll tell you one that nobody talks about. Mm. Right, good looking people of any race. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like I'm gonna Gabrielle Union or Beyonce are hot as fuck. Any door in the world will open up for them. It doesn't matter that they're black. I mean, they might feel differently. Right, but they would feel differently probably compared to other super beautiful women right. of other races. You know what I mean? Right. Height is another one. Yeah, height. So like, tall people do better. Exactly. Now it's interesting. So Kiki Ro Rouge Rogue says, "I'm an RN. Intentional racism is not a personality flaw among me and my coworkers." Right. Well, and and, and I tell you that's because I think we've gotten to a point in society now through the hard work of many people, white, black, Asian, it doesn't matter who, who've built this world where it is shameful to be intentionally racist. Yes. You will get shamed out of existence because it's just wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the unconscious stuff is still there. Uh, 
again, I don't think anybody in healthcare that I've ever met has been intentionally racist against anybody. I've never seen it. It's very, it's just all very tricky. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, um, the car crash victim analogy. Have you heard this? No. That, you know, yeah, black people were done, I mean, so wrong uh, in this country. Mm. Everybody else, I don't give a shit about. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> we, but yeah. you came here. I'll disagree. You, but yeah, yeah. Nah, fuck that. You yeah. came here to the American meat grinder and everybody got, everybody got treated bad. At one time well, the Irish got except for the except hammered. for the English Protestants, everybody was treated poorly by the English Protestants. You know, my people, the Irish, were treated like shit. Mm. That's just how it went, and mm. that was part of the American meat grinder. You see it play out with the Mexicans now, mm. right? Eventually, everybody overcomes that in in the second and third generation, mm. but it, the first generation suffers. It's like go back and read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. But black people are a special use case because we literally broke apart their family structures. They had nothing from the old country. They didn't come here volitionally, mm-hmm. right? So like we have to do something to erase that cultural memory. Mm-hmm. But you know, the car crash victim analogy means yes, there was a car crash perpetrated on Black America, uh, but you can't undo the crash and it's kind of up to you to fix it unfortunately it's an unfortunate reality but it is a reality so let me ask Do you know what i'm saying yeah, like, I, only you can rehab yourself after a car crash right right, right? right. even so, though you were victimized and something did happen to you so if liz warren is right and we are intentionally racist then is it okay for her to say listen i'm calling you out for being intentionally racist uh, doctors and nurses and you're perpetuating more crimes on you know black people if it was if it was, if true. It was true if it was then true i would say yes right so we both agree and I, I think i think what we agree on is i think almost everybody agrees except for the real fringe right yeah that we want to see greater um this is the problem and we fall into this where it's like now we're letting the fringe dictate the conversation yeah you know? that's and, the and thing. liz warren is, is the fringe is the fringe she is the fringe you know Anyone, she, wants, any, she wants this wealth tax on unrealized cap gains and things like that that's insane that's un, unrealized cap gains. right it's like somebody who took a, a you know a bet <laughs> like on you know something paying off and then it did pay off for them she wants to steal their their reward basically they took all the risk and then she wants to take the reward for the government yeah. that's crazy yeah you know well you know it, it's and guess what wealth inequality is a product of capitalism working well when it's working well we don't have like true capitalism we have crony capitalism right because people sit next to the central banking system and you know siphon themselves off vast and money and power own yeah most of washington so that it, capitalism needs to be overhauled but it doesn't need to be thrown out in favor of some nonsense you know socialism that's yeah. become rampant in the democratic party well so so daniel walsh has a good comment here black women die in the healthcare system disproportionately when delivering because the personnel thinks they can't the the uh there's maybe some typos here the personal thinks they can't afford the cost of the comp. The person thinks they can't afford the cost of the complications. Some people are still racist. Some places are still the fucking fifties in the U.S. For you to deny this is just as harmful uh, of a generalization than what Liz Warren does. So, Daniel, I don't think we're denying there's still intentional racism. Unconscious. It's, just, it's unconscious, yeah. but there's also some intentional racism. So he's saying some places are still stuck in the fifties. Well, I bet there are places in the deep south where shit is still fucked up. You know. Part of it is like, um, how do you how do you overcome this unconscious conditioning in like in your daily life? For me, I think the answer has just been having friends of all different racial types. Because when I when I had a, uh, one of my black friends, uh, Chance, describe 
being pulled over uh, on the side of the road just for wearing like a big urban looking jacket, one of mm. those Echo jackets, mm. when he wasn't doing anything. Yeah. I, it made me feel really fucking bad that that happened. Right. Because I know that every time I interacted with the police, I was in the wrong. Right. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? right, 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 right. Well, it's interesting because again, when I talked to this doctor at UCSF, uh, we had a group of docs that had all won these prizes, right? And she mm -hmm. was one of them, I was one of them, these other guys. And she's telling the story about like what it was like when she was living in the 60s, trying to get into medical school and do this stuff, she would straighten her hair to try to look white. She would lighten her skin with powder. She would do all these things. And she's told me, she's telling this story, she's taking us on this ride and she says, you know, so I was trying to be a good Negro. Like I was there trying to fit what they, I thought they wanted from me. And it yeah. took me years to figure out that I was fine as I was. And actually it was who I was that was released when I actually got into medical school and was able to do all these things. And all, all of us there, and it's funny, so there was a white guy uh, who won a prize and he, he one of his, uh, the reason he won the prize is he's done a lot of work on social determinants of health. And so he's like in South Central LA studying this stuff and mm -hmm. you know, the whitest guy you'd ever see in the world. And he tells her the story about growing up the same period and how he was at this uh, lake with um, a bunch of uh, white kids and they were all swimming in the lake and the moms are laughing and everything and, and a black family comes by and the black kid goes in the water with him. And so he's playing with this black kid, they're having a blast. And he looks over at the lake, at the shore, and suddenly everybody's silent. Like they went from you know joking and laughing with each other to just tense silence. And he never forgot that moment because he's like, what the hell just happened? Like this is another human being I'm playing with. I'm having a good time. These people are fucking crazy. Yeah. And he tells this story in the same circle that this woman's telling her stories. And you could see people are tearing up. It's like, this is a trauma that I think is still so proximal that it, it releases emotion. So Liz Warren is capitalizing on that. She's like, you're racist. Yeah. Right? And, and that's, she's hitting people's elephant who are vulnerable to that. Now, I think we need a, a wiser, rational compassion where we can say, yeah, okay, this has happened. Now, how do we make it better instead of all this you know, bullshit we're talking, mm -hmm. okay? And I think people are saying, yeah, we're denying the truth of racism. They have some point. We are a little insulated in the sense that our circles aren't racism, the people, racist, the people we work with. I mean, you know, we chances on our crew, he yeah. shoots our videos, uh, you know, my CFO at Turntable Health was African-American from Brooklyn and told me what it was like growing up and he's my age. And, and so we have this experience where we're like, oh, you know, we're all in this kind of struggle. Mm -hmm. But I think some people don't have that maybe. I've, I've really stuck with always my entire life uh, since I was a little kid, you know, Martin Luther King's message, which is, you know, treat everybody based on the content of their character. Now, people say that it's easy for me. Now, this is a thing that happens is they say, it's easy for you to do that because you're white. Hmm. So you don't have to go through all of the things that other people have to go through. So of course you can judge everybody as an individual, hmm. right? But here's the thing. I hate all white people. <laughs> it's true. I, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like, hey, white people are cool. No, fuck white people. <laughs> I just hate all of you. Yeah. yeah. Tom, and, Tom and I are actually both generally misanthropic. <laughs> To different degrees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very true. Let's see if we got But some. it's um it's become retributive. Um, you know, there's now like an attack on on white people for sure. And and it's it's not great because of what it can uh, lead to, which is white identity politics, which mm. is, is bad. It's really bad. Right, when that right, happens. right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think your point about letting the fringes dictate 
what's the conversation is is absolutely true. We're letting people like Liz Warren divide us, and you know, it's it's or succe- David Duke, it's successful, yeah. or Trump. I yeah, mean, or it, Trump. and it's successful. You know, yeah. I don't like Trump, and I don't like Liz Warren for the same reason. They're people of low character. Yeah, and fringe, extreme low character. Well, they're, they're, they'll they're, do they'll do and say anything to advance their own agenda. Uh, you know. Yeah, and and I just we can't have that anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think that's I think, what politics has become too. And entirely. and remember, so how do you win a Democratic primary? You play to the base. How do you win a Republican primary? You play to the base. So they're all going to play to the base when we start seeing this play out, and that's what Liz Warren is doing. The base meaning the it, the sort of people who vote in a Democratic pi- primary. So they're the people who are most fired up about social justice and these other issues. And so she's going to play to that base now. Again, as a healthcare professional, fuck you if you're telling us we're all racist. Like many of us have dedicated a fair bit of our research careers and lives to saying, no, we're gonna try to figure out how to overcome these disparities. We've talked about it on the show many times, right? It was funny because again, being back at UCSF, it's kind of the center hub of trying to figure out how do we overcome these uh, biases in healthcare, unconscious biases. So I was actually very proud to be a part of that. At the same time, you kind of see a little bit of the language creep in of like, oh, political correctness and other stuff that we kind of rage against on the show because, you know, like anybody I think who does public stuff now, you we're the victims of outrage culture more often than not. And you realize, oh, this is basically censorship and it's basically thought police. And it's basically uh, what, what Haidt wrote about in The Coddling of the American Mind, which is we're not able to have a discussion assuming that the other person is acting out of good intent. And with politicians, it's hard for me to make those assumptions because their intent is to win an election. Mm-hmm. and get power. Yeah. So that's the problem. So I can't assume Liz Warren has good intent. I can't assume Donald Trump has good intent. No. Um, whereas I can assume you have good intent. I assume like somebody I'm arguing with, even if we disagree, I can assume they're a good person trying to do the right thing. Isn't it getting so frustrating just to fight these proxy wars all the time? Like Every everything day. is a proxy war for some other thing. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It Every day feels like uh, InfoSec Vietnam. Mm. <laughs> you know yeah, saying? it kind like, of is. Kind of is. So Jen Bonner, who's a supporter plus one, says it's not just African-Americans. How about Hispanics, Asians? My family's now a mix of Chinese, Korean, Mexican, and South American. And I was amazed at the racism against my kids and family. Mm. So, so I think I think there's some intentional everybody's racism. Everybody's racist. Yeah, I think everybody's unconsciously biased. Yeah. So, you know, you know I, I think I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. I'll tell you this. <laughs> I mean, this is stupid, but I'm going to say it. When I'm walking my dog in my nice neighborhood, I... Uh, and I see a black person, I make sure to smile at them and be like, hey, we're all friendly here. Go out of here. When your I way. see other white people, I'm like, fuck off, I'm walking this dog. <laughs> that's that's unconscious. So that's like right. reverse racism. Right, but right, I'm right. being I'm be I'm noticing race and then I'm acting on it in a different way, you know. So so that that's and, and here's the thing. Does that make you a bad human being? No, it makes you a conditioned human being, like yeah. all of us. I try not to do it. Now I'm trying to just ignore black Now you have to override it. Now yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't care about any of you. I'm trying to walk this dog and go home. I mean, I think I have some of that. And I, I honestly, here, here's, here's what I heard from one of the top cardiologists in the country, one of the best teachers I know, a mentor of mine. And he was telling me the story. He was working in Oakland uh, at a hospital that, almost disproportionately sees inner city African-American patients. And he had one patient and the um, the team had seen the patient and he saw the patient and it had come out that we're trying to figure out disposition, where to send the patient. Mm-hmm. Okay, have you talked to social worker? Do they have a place to stay? You know, uh, how's the support? And the team was like, this is a multimillionaire uh, internet mogul. And 
the cardiologist told me, he goes, he had to check his own gut because he just assumed because this patient was African-American, they were gonna need social services and a place to stay and this and this and this. And he, he, he was like, I, it was a wake up moment for him where he realized he's so conditioned by seeing patient after patient after patient where that was the case, that now he had to override that conditioning. And this is the thing, we're pattern recognizing creatures. That's what our elephant does. Yeah. So I think when we villainize people who display unconscious bias, we lose an opportunity to actually influence the bias in itself in a positive way. So. Liz Warren is doing that. She's doing that, 100%. Right, that's what she's doing. You you nailed it. That's exactly what she's doing. She's vilifying people who are displaying unconscious bias, which is going to cause them to entrench, is going to cause them to deny, which is what's happening in the comments. Everybody's saying, we don't do this, we don't do this. And this is, you don't consciously do it, absolutely. Well, and you know, there was some study I read a long time ago that um, when black children go into the uh, pediatrician's office, they their parents speak for them uh, more often. Uh, they don't often speak up for themselves, whereas white p uh, parents coach their children and say, tell the doctor what's wrong with you, Timmy. And then mm. Timmy would be like, my tummy hurts, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And this has uh, wide-ranging implications down the line, but you can see where it comes from. It comes from Tuskegee and mm -hmm. you know, fundamental mistrust mm -hmm. and having to go to the bad hospital in the bad part of town. And, you know, there was a, I was listening to Be Real from Cypress Hill on oh, the Joe Rogan experience. Hits from the bomb. And he was talking about some hospital that was in their neighborhood that um, they would all go to. And they just called it like murder hospital because mm -hmm. they were like, once you go in there, it's worse than like, I got shot. And I didn't want to go because mm. I knew that they would probably kill me mm. in the hospital, mm. right? He, he, and that's the kind of hospital that this community is used to being served by. So when, when, when now he, that we're past, when we are past that a little bit, but only only barely and re still and not, very recently, and probably only yeah. geographically. Right. I think there are spots where it's not. So so it's interesting. So a couple. Yeah, things. and then you have to get into like redlining and how these things came about and blah blah blah, and it gets really complicated. When we would take care of African American patients at Stanford from East Palo Alto, we saw a pattern, which is. There was suspicion off the bat. And you know what was really funny is we had this cardiologist, this big, fat, white German guy. And he was as white as you would ever see. And he would start rounds by going, okay, what's the race of this patient? And we were all like, fucking what? And he'd say, are they African-American? Yes, okay. What are they asking you to do? They're asking this and this and this. Well, here's why. And he would presume to understand why this African-American, and what he was doing was applying his own pattern detection and saying, well, okay, because of Tuskegee and because of these things, they're gonna be very reluctant to make that patient comfort care because they are thinking that you, white man, are trying to pull the plug on dad, maybe even to donate his organs to yeah. somebody else. And and first of all, we were all like, well, you're actually kind of a racist dude. <laughs> like that was something <laughs> that we kind of, but it was interesting to have to be forced to think about race on rounds openly that was never discussed. So for that, I was like, okay, well now you've triggered a discussion. And so I made it a point when I would attend, we would always talk about race as an issue, like to bring it out. If there's unconscious bias, let's make it conscious, aware, put it in, under the light of awareness and go, okay, well, what is it now? Okay, mm -hmm. now can we, can we eliminate it? The second thing I wanna say is, when I um, did a month in Hawaii as a resident, uh, I lived in Oahu for a month and worked at Queens Medical Center as a second year resident. It was an exchange program we had with Stanford. For the for it was weird, dude. I never thought anyone was racist against me because I was like, I'm basically a white dude with a little bit off white. I'm an Indian guy. I never saw myself. I was always the other in Clovis, California. Yeah. But here I was in Berkeley and San Francisco and Stanford, and I'm like, nobody's racist. We're all pretty woke. I went there, and that's a pan Asian culture. Yes. Right. And 
And for the first time in my life, I felt in social situations a complete lubrication where there was no subtle resistance to me interacting with people. And it was a two-way thing. And I was like, oh, I'm just in the pocket instantly, welcomed as part of a home thing. And I realized white people don't get that in Hawaii. No, when I go to Hawaii, they fucking hate my guts. Yeah. Until I drop them from Las Vegas. Yeah, but if I show island. around in Nevada ID or whatever, they're like, oh, I brought a ninth, ninth Island, you That's know? Right. And I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? That's right. And I talk to people and they're like, yeah, my, my cousin's going to CSN. I'm like, oh, yeah, I went to CSN for a semester. Yeah, what's up? And so now we have common ground, right? But if I until I say I'm from Las Vegas, I'm, it's just like, You're the Howley. fuck you, Howley. You're the Howley. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was an interesting experiment because I felt like, wow, so there is this veneer, this patina of kind of tension mm -hmm. that is unconscious. Nobody's doing it intentionally, right? I mean, the people who are are, are outliers. Has anyone in the comments like been through uh, unconscional or un what unconscious conditional? What do they call it? What what, what? The bias unconscious bias the bias training? Oh, I, oh, the bias training. You know, what I'm, I'm about? sure people have because a lot of unconscious bias. Conditioning, Condi yeah, reconditioning. Something. We will recondition you so because you are not my, biased. Uh, my my aunt works at a um, a poorer school in uh, Nashville, and they all mm. had to go through this oh. so that because a lot of the administrators are white, and so that they could understand like the population that they're basically serving in the school every day because it's mm. a lot of poor black kids, mm. and so they had to go through the you know unconscious uh, conditioning training or whatever it was. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've heard of that before and we do like, uh, ge you know, gender and race and sexual harassment training. And it seems like absolute bullshit when you go through it. You're just like, yeah, duh, duh, <laughs> duh. And I think the problem, the reason it seems like bullshit is that what they're trying to do is point out stuff that you already intellectually know. Yeah. But you're not retraining the elephant by doing that. You're not actually fixing the unconscious bias. What you're trying to ask people to do is to check their bias and go, oh yeah, you're gonna have this. What you have to say is you're gonna have this bias. It's not your fault, but it is your fault if you don't recognize it and actually try not to act from it. Do you know who um, Ta-Nehisi Coates is? No. Ta-Nehisi Coates is a African-American author and a journalist. And he wrote this book called Between the World and Me and it's really aggressive towards white people. Mm. And when you read this book, you're like, as a white person, you're like, okay. <laughs> it's like, sit down and shut the fuck up, white people. I'm gonna tell you how it is. And, right. uh, but I thought it was very informative uh, when I read it. I got more, much more of a sense of how um, some, some people in the black community see the world and it helped inform my thinking on this matter. So I, I try not to shut off. At the same time, though, I'm going to keep living my life treating everybody as an individual. Yeah, right. I'm not going to see race when, when we're, you know, talking to each other. Like, right. it, it's just going to be your actions, my actions. And, and you have to be careful that's not a denial of unconscious bias. I don't, yeah, I don't think it is because yeah. I judge everybody by the same. <laughs> Badly, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so Ruth uh, Scheller says, unconscious bias training was mandatory at my hospital, but it was superficial and sadly most people who attended did not take it seriously. And, and the thing is, Ruth, is it because it's not effective, they're doing it wrong? Or is it because people are just in denial about their bias or are they just making light of something, another bureaucratic hurdle they have to go over? I don't know the answer to that. Every, everybody has unconscious bias, uh, Tatiana says. Yeah, it's true. You know, this is like, um, do you remember Chris Rock's joke where uh, he's talking about seeing a, a couple of uh, white kids walking down the street in trench coats after Columbine and going to the other other side of the street, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of an, un you know, yeah, he's, it is. He's, he's playing on the seeing a group of black teenagers it's, trope. But it's like, pattern recognition. Yeah, it's a pattern yeah. recognition. Katie Parker's calling you out. Oh, please do not even say, I don't see race. 
I'm actually with Katie on that. Yeah. Uh, well, it's more like you. You know, I, I never talked about race until I met Zubin. That's and true. Zubin likes to talk about race I, a lot because I see yeah. I see nothing. Because I don't see race. Yeah, yeah it's I really I legitimately don't. And now, see, it's funny you know why? It's because something's broken inside of me. Like, like my I don't. I'm not using feelings to get through the world. I'm using ideology. So it's it's different for me a little bit. You've reconditioned your elephant on that parameter instead of uh, yeah. I'm just emotion. I don't like it's not emotional for me yeah. when I go through the world. Like yeah. I, it's like it's like a a, a fairness thing or yeah. like a judgment thing. Yeah. So I'm a little different than other people. So yeah, I actually don't see race. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't even I, I didn't even know what the fuck Logan was for like six months. I didn't know I don't know what any of our friends are because I don't care. If yeah. you're like mixed race, I never ask you about it. Yeah, yeah. I just don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I I find race as a fascination. Because there's, you know, there's, there's the genetic component, there's a cultural component, and for me being somewhere in between, yeah, you know, like wanting to fit into white culture when I was growing up, but yet also thinking a lot of white culture was weird and mm-hmm. un, uh, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like sports, I still don't understand. Yeah. Uh, well, that's just because you don't play sports. That's also part of it. But it's, it's like, partially because- Sports are pretty multicultural. Yeah, I, it's, that's true. <laughs> but see, my parents were so, they were like, sports, what's that? You know, yeah. you play cricket. You want to play cricket? Okay, buddy. Here's a cricket bat. Okay, you just hit the ball. Uh, it became a fascination, and since I was in that gray zone, I found that I was able to talk about it without getting uh, a lot of heat. So, in other words, I could sit on rounds and be like, "Hey, you're Korean. You're African American. Like, don't you guys hate each other? Tell me about that." And they'd be like, "Uh, yeah. Well, no. This is the thing. Like, here's the tension, but also this." Whereas I think I've had white friends say, well, I can't even bring those things up because, yeah, yeah, well, you know. I just belong to like a different sort of um, class of people that have a different mindset. And that doesn't mean like I was born in a higher class or anything. I, I just mean like I, I tend to be this in this type of focused, ambitious, successful state where like everybody just talks about money. We don't <laughs> talk about anything else. And it doesn't matter what race somebody is. It's like how much money does that person right, have? Right, right. You know, when you look at a person who's got more money than you, if they're a different race, you're like, man, they're killing it. I, yeah. I need to be doing what they're doing or whatever, you know? Yeah. Jim Marino, all caps. Z, that's racist. Don't use that accent. You're right, buddy. <laughs> Never use the, it's the Apu scenario, okay? Uh, I'm white and I don't get sports either, Brenda Courier. <laughs> all right. Although, Brenda Courier, your last name sounds like some kind of football player, you know? Or a, not a football player, a basketball player, like yeah. uh, in the uh, WNBA. Thomas Colorblind with a smi- uh, laughy emoji, uh, Samantha Ratchet. That is probably kind of true because he always wears his sunglasses that are <laughs> brown tinted. So everybody's brown. To, April to says, uh, it's not about seeing race. It's about being able to see the struggles of another race. So saying I don't see race is saying you aren't willing to see someone else's That's struggles. That's interesting. What do you think of that? Uh, I am willing to see somebody else's struggles. And I have been, we have been talking about that yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. throughout this episode. But at the same time, at the same time, I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, and here's why. Because I don't care about any of you or any of your personal struggles. Do you care about mine? No, you don't. I, here's what I want. If I'm going into the, you know, a surgeon, I want the best surgeon. I don't yeah. give a shit if he's black or Mexican or yeah. white or whatever. I want the best one. I don't yeah. care if it's a female. I don't care if it's a male. If I want a pilot. If I want a lawyer. My, all my lawyers are women of all different races. I don't give a shit what everybody's race is. How much do you bill me? What's your win rate? Let's talk about metrics. So that's the, that's the rarefied world that Tom inhabits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I get it's that. It's privilege. Zia has I get so that. much privilege. There's so much privilege. No, I just don't fucking care. Who yeah. cares? I don't care about your struggles. You don't care about my struggles. Let's all be really fucking honest here. Okay? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let's see. Um, what about white privilege? Do you acknowledge it exists? Ketki Patel. 
Do you acknowledge it exists, eh? <laughs> Listen, I what believe you, in... What do you think about white privilege? I believe in the Pareto distribution, the Pareto curve. People who already have success and power get more success and power. Yeah. And it just so happens that statistically, that would be uh, generally Caucasian males in this country. You know what's confusing that I've always been confused by? Why is it okay that China's 100% Chinese, but somehow if Europe's 100% white, it's racist? <laughs> I don't understand. You you want me to tell you something? Yeah. So Indians, Chinese, like in America here, we're the melting pots. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They don't give a fuck about melting pots. They are <laughs> no, they as They're racist, racist and xenophobic as anybody you'll ever meet. And I know this because the I, Asians hate other Asian races. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. There's a hierarchy with an Asian. Japanese culture. hate everybody. Every, and hate they're everybody. at the top. Oh, they're the most xenophobic. They think they're at the top. They, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It, well, it's it's fascinating because uh, being Indian and then married to a Chinese. I the most powerful racism I've ever encountered has been, uh, you know, Indians basically being racist against everybody else. They really believe they are the master race, and Chinese, Han Chinese in particular, believing they are the absolute master race. So having a country of nothing but each would be ideal to them. Yeah, yeah. Han Cameron says I'm avoiding the question by talking about it in an abstract contest context. Can you rephrase the question, Cameron, so I can answer it more directly? Yeah, rephrase yeah. it. Because I don't know, really know what uh, I'm supposed to be answering. Let's see. Oh, so Candace Corey, you know what's annoying? Having others assume you're one race when you're not. I look white, but I'm Arab, and my family was not here until 1967. They were scratching out of living in the dirt in Lebanon during the civil rights era here in America, but people think I'm white, so I get that quote-unquote blame. I'm like Tom in that I'm managed by ideology and don't give a fuck about race in general. I'm suspicious of all men, regardless of race, pattern recognition. You know what? That's the most honest comment I've read in a while. Yeah. Can yeah. I also say that those of us that are... Uh managed by ideology it's because we're like super emotionally damaged that's why <laughs> that's why you know so it's not necessarily like something you should aspire to be but we do tend to be good you know judges and uh you know we're very fair yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah no it's, it's actually true yeah i think there is we're all damaged tom every one of us every last one of us it's just how do we manage that damage what does it lead to some are, some are more damaged than others. That's see. true. That's true. There are always deeper levels to hell. That's, that's true. You know I think I mean? you've probably suffered more damage as an individual than most. Yeah. Regardless of race. Well, I'm weird. It's weird with me, too, because, you know, my mother was mentally ill. My father was always at work, right? So, like, I had this weird, like, my father is, like, this high-powered attorney, country club lifestyle. But because my mother was so severely mentally ill, we would just meet people at a McDonald's, and suddenly I'd be in somebody's house who was smoking crack. Things yeah, like that. Yeah. And that, that was real. And that yeah. happened to me, especially in D.C. in the 90s when yeah. we were living there. And oh, Mary and Barry, baby. Yeah. So I don't I have a weird all over the map American experience. Like I didn't grow up insulated, but people think I did because right. I look one way. And, right. Right. You know, there's some sort of a a thing surrounding me. It's a bias. Yeah. It's an influence. I get, see, I get biased against yeah. me. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm like, whatever. I, yeah. You know, what do I but then you're going to reinforce that bias by. By, by again, deny. In other words, if you're if you're not caring about race when you talk, people are just going to assume you're doing that because you're privileged and white. I'll tell you. Listen, I've said it before. Being white gives me the ultimate privilege, which is that uh, I know that people are just fucking assholes. It has nothing to do with my race. 
You know what I mean? People are just like when I get stopped by a cop, it's not like I'm like I'm not like oh it's because I'm I'm black. I'm like it's because this cop's a douche because yeah. I was only going twelve over or whatever. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Well, you know Anna Newcomb really nails it. She says aces, dude, aces. So adverse yeah. childhood, experiences. adverse childhood experience. The, 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 I, okay, okay, okay. Let's get back to Liz Warren and and we'll wrap it up through that because I think it's a good way to pull it together. What Liz Warren ought to be talking about is adverse childhood experiences as a driver of adult illness and disparity. Well, if African-American women are having uh, disproportionately more adverse childhood ex experiences uh, due to socioeconomic and racial issues, then that's the issue that we need to figure out how to solve over generations. It's mm -hmm. not gonna happen overnight with a flea. It's not like Thanos can be like, Bam, <laughs> right? And uh, we're tying it all together, man. I know. You know, winter is coming. You know, we lost to Stark at the Battle of Winterfell, Z. His name was Tony. <laughs> and he should have sat on the Iron Throne because he was an Iron Man, okay? <laughs> You're welcome, nerds. People ask me sometimes, they're like, why is your team a couple of generally, <laughs> you know, moderately intellectually disabled, you know, non-physicians? And I'm like, because every single day I laugh my ass off and I learn something. And today I learned that, that we lost to Stark at Winterfell and his name was Tony Stark. <laughs> oh, what do you think? Did we do this? Let's call the code. That was a good conversation. Let's warn you're a bitch. <laughs> Fuck you. Liz Warren, I'm going to implore you to actually just talk about stuff that, that is going to actually lead to actionable change. Accusing everyone of racism is going to cause people to entrench. That's not how you influence and woo change. That's how you win a primary. Do you remember the movie um, Soul Man in 1980s? I do. See Thomas Howell? Amazing. Yeah, Liz Warren is the real soul man. That's right. Mm -hmm. Without the black face. Yeah. But she's got, you know, red face. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but it felt right to say. Feels, 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 feels good. Feels so good. Feels good. Feels so good. Remember mm -hmm. Jamiroquai? Feels just like it should. Uh, all By right. Way, I want to bring this up to you as, as yeah. a closing thing. Um, I was listening to Anthony Jessen. Like, you know him? He's a comedian. Pretty, I know very, him. very offensive comedian. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that, you know, nobody gets mad at you for bombing on a racial joke or on a sexist joke or on a, an abortion joke or whatever. They get mad because other people are laughing. So when the joke lands, they get mad because it reverberates through the audience. And oh, that makes them uncomfortable. Interesting. You know? it's because you even dared to talk about one of their pet subjects. Like you talked about race or you talked about abortion, or you talked about whatever. And like in comedy, nothing should ever be off limits. Right. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Let, let, let's imagine what that's like. Let's say you're in Hawaii and you're in a comedy club and there's a Hawaiian dude up there and he's, he makes a joke about white people that's just absolutely offensive. And the whole audience of Hawaiians starts laughing and you're sitting there as the white guy going, that's kind of fucked up. See, I I wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. <laughs> I went to one time. We went to open. I gotta tell this story real quick before we end. I went. To, we went to open mic comedy, and uh, this guy, this this guy was on stage. This black guy, and uh, he was like, he was like, yeah, you know. So anyway, I'm at Savers, and I'm looking for some dope threads. You know what I mean? And uh, my one white friend, who is way more privileged than I am, uh, it was like dead silent. He was just like, ha, like that. <laughs> And so the comedian immediately zeroes in on him. He's like, oh, you think it's funny I shop at Savers, white boy? Sitting there with your Abercrombie shit on. <laughs> and my buddy goes, dude, this is from Target. And he goes, Target? Bitch, you shop at Walmart. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best. Uh, you know, and most British humor is class-based. If you're going into a comedy club, 
Yeah, no, you got it. It's you, all you're there listen. to laugh. Like, I, everything's on the table. You know my take on yeah. on speech. So like, no, I would never be offended. Anybody who is a fucking asshole. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. It's like I said on Twitter the other day, like the only people who call me out for racism when I do an accent or something are white people. Yeah. And they're butthurt by you proxy. Know, you you haven't acknowledged your privilege right. as a Indian guy. As a five foot five bald <laughs> Indian guy who grew up in a rural town. Yeah, I'm fucking privileged as fuck. Listen, Z had to fight his way out, people. He fought his way out. <laughs> I gave everything up <laughs> as far as I could see. That's right. I'm basically like the Indian Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People are like, yo, how'd you do it? How'd you come up from like this random Caribbean island being bald and short and kind of chubby? Well, you know, I just kept it real. <laughs> uh, did we do it, Tom Heidelberg? Is there anything else? Thumbnail. thumbnail. Oh, we need a thumbnail. Oh, are we going to do the... the, that's the, racist. the that that's, is racist. That's actually racist. How about, how about we just... I would never do that. I'm too white. I'll just hold up this interesting implement. <laughs> hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.